New Year, New Me. Or at least that's the theory. Anyway, it's strange, is it not, how each and every year I need a new me? What was wrong with the me from last year? Or the year before? Or the year before that? Weird, isn't it? I'll tell you what else is weird, or it's kind of weirded me out as I've been thinking about New Year's and resolutions and change, is that how in a world where we disagree over almost everything, we are universal in our acceptance, in our agreement that something needs to change, that you need to change, that I need to change, that the world that we live in needs to change. When we can't agree on anything else, isn't it weird how we can all agree on that? It's even more weird, actually, because that agreement comes in the context of a world which constantly tells us, constantly encourages us and reminds us that we are enough, that you've got this. Well, if that's the case, why do we need to change at all? When you think about it, that constant cycle, that universal agreement, that counterintuitive message of change when it comes to the new year, new year, new me, is really, really weird. And yet, there it is. It's a staple in our diaries. It's a staple in our culture. It's as much a part of our annual lives as Christmas, or first day of school, or last day of summer. Why is it then that we are in such agreement about the need to change? Why is it that each and every year we feel that need to change? Why is it that even when we spend 11 months telling ourselves and each other that we are okay, that we are enough, that we are good and happy as we are, that when January the 1st rolls up, we in unison and with one voice say, no, something, if not a lot of things, have to change. Well, I've been thinking about this this last week, preparing for this morning, and I've got two ideas about why change, New Year's resolutions, New Year, New Me, New You, is such a universal thing. The first reason I think is this, because deep, deep down, we're all massively dissatisfied. We're discontent, we're unhappy with who we are as people. We all feel uncomfortable in our skin, uncomfortable in our existence. And no matter how much we try to keep our chin up for 11 months of the year, here's this opportunity, if you like, just to be, to be real and to be honest and to say, I'm not satisfied with the human being that I am. More than that though, although sort of the same, but just zoomed out, is that we're all dissatisfied, discontent, unhappy, uncomfortable in the world that we live in. We might, 2020 aside, we might go through life saying, acting, living like the world is okay, but deep, deep down, we know that it's not. We're deeply dissatisfied with the things that happen. 
with the lives that are lost, with the lives that are ruined and uh, affected and trodden down on. The reason that we can all agree every January the 1st that things need to change is because we're all dissatisfied with ourselves and dissatisfied with the world that we live in. What's amazing though is that the Bible, the Bible backs that up. The Bible puts that dissatisfaction into a bigger narrative and explains why that is universally true. If we describe the Bible as the story of God's kingdom, of how life is supposed to be lived, as how life can be lived with God, under God, how that is a different life, how that is a better life, it introduces us to this idea that you and I, individually and collectively, have abandoned that life, have rejected God and have somehow found ourselves in this world that is far from comfortable, in lives that are far from comfortable. This morning I want us to consider very quickly a story in John's Gospel. John was one of Jesus' closest friends and his Gospel is his attempt to summarise the things that Jesus said and taught and did during his short time on earth. I want us to look at one story, one interaction that Jesus had with a man called Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus was someone just like you and me. He had felt that dissatisfaction with himself. He felt, experienced that dissatisfaction with the world around him and, 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 and life in this world. And that had led him to be a Pharisee. That had led him to be someone who sought to change themselves and to change the world that they lived in, in an extremely religious way. John's Gospel, chapter 3, says this. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now this man came to Jesus at night and said, Teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Now here's the thing. Nicodemus had sensed that dissatisfaction. He was unhappy with himself. He was unhappy with the world, but he'd sensed something else too. He'd sensed that there was something different about Jesus. How Jesus lived his life. How those who came near Jesus experienced life was different. And he was intrigued. Nicodemus wanted to know more about Jesus and the life that Jesus lived. So he came under the cover of darkness because he didn't really want everyone else knowing how interested he was in Jesus. And, well, he doesn't ask him a question. He simply makes this statement. He makes a statement that I've seen something in you, Jesus, that is remarkable, that is different, that makes you stand out in this life and in this world. Curiously, Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus never asked. 
Nicodemus coming with his sense of dissatisfaction with himself and the world around, this idea, this knowledge that change needs to happen, seeing something different in Jesus has come to him. And Jesus says this, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, they cannot be part of the kingdom of God. Truly I tell you, listen mate, this this is where the rubber hits the road. If you want to be a part of what I am doing, part of life with God, better life, different life, life as it was intended to be, if you want to be in on that, you need to be born again. Start all over. Start from scratch. Not just resolutions, not just setting your alarm earlier, not eating differently. Rebirth. And Nicodemus, I beg your pardon, realises just how um, massive, how monumental a thing Jesus is speaking about here. How, How the change that Jesus is describing is not... It's January the 1st, boys, let's get on it. That how what Jesus is describing here is, is, is huge. He responds, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be reborn? Jesus, what you're speaking about seems beyond belief. And it's beyond belief to us now, by the way, isn't it? If someone came up to you and said... Do you know what? If you want things to change, you have to start all over again. You have to be reborn. You'd be confused. Like, how can that happen? How can someone who is 36 years old be born again? But Jesus, Jesus is not for turning. Jesus is resolute. Jesus sticks with it and says, no, you might not understand it, but this is how it is. People need to be reborn spiritually reborn he says actually in order to be a part of what i am doing now then where does that leave nicodemus where does that leave you and i does it leave us with something to ponder something to think about something to resolve to do as soon as the clock strikes midnight and january the first a new year is welcomed in well no because it's impossible uh, Nicodemus is exactly right when he responds to Jesus and he asks the question how can that sort of change take place in me I've lived my entire life trying to change this trying to change that trying to get this part of my life and that part of my life in order trying to affect those people around me and the country I live in and and the way the world operates around me and I still feel like every new year something big has to change because I'm still not satisfied. So how could I even begin to process change in the way that you are describing it, Jesus? The good news is Jesus wasn't just speaking about change for you and for me and for Nicodemus. He was actually speaking primarily about a change that he was going to experience. Not because he was dissatisfied with himself, certainly because he was dissatisfied with the world that he was living in, because Jesus genuinely wants that change, rebirth, to be a part of each and every one of our existence. You see, Jesus was going to go through this rebirth, all 
albeit through a different means, through a different route, himself. Jesus was going to die before being born again. You know, as we get to the end of the story of Jesus's life, um, there are some tragic events that take place. There are uh, rulers um, in the community, people very much like Nicodemus, who reject Jesus for themselves. Um, they put him on trial and even though he's found innocent, they sentence him to death and execute him. As we get to the end of John's Gospel, Jesus is hung on a cross and he breathes his last and he cries out, It is finished. And then his body is taken down from the cross and this is what we read. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden and no one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there. The place of humanity's first birth in the Bible is Eden and God put Adam and Eve, humanity, into a garden. And as it turns out that Jesus's mission of rebirthing humanity, of jump-starting, restarting uh, life as it's supposed to be with God and under God, in God's kingdom, is going to take place in a garden as well. You see, Jesus, through death, was put back into Mother Earth's womb. And three days later would be delivered, would be reborn. A new humanity, that change that he'd been describing to Nicodemus. Something totally and utterly remade. And the amazing thing is that that rebirth can be ours. It can be yours. It, it, it is yours if you've ever trusted in Jesus, if you've ever decided that you're going to follow after him, walk life with him. The same spirit that was at work, raising Jesus from the dead, is at work in those who believe, Paul says in Ephesians. And perhaps one of the most astonishing statements recorded in all the Bible is this, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is trusting him, has faith in him, believes on him, follows after him, puts their hope, their joy, their peace in him. This is what it says. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old, dissatisfying, distasteful, even decaying self has gone. And the new has come. He is a new creation. See, that change that we all universally agree is needed is ours in Jesus. The old has gone. The new has come. But the question then turns to, does that mean that the dissatisfaction that we feel sense with our lives and the world around us, does that disappear because we've at last been made new? Sadly, the answer is no. If anything, you could describe it as intensifying. Before coming to know Jesus, perhaps it was a vague sense of something needing to change. But when we're in 
Jesus, when we're in Christ, when we are those new creations, all of a sudden it's like a, a banging cymbal, a, a clanging hammer against a bell. We, we can't get over the fact that we, we still aren't the people that we're supposed to be, that the world that we live in isn't as it's supposed to be. It's still not the kingdom of God, life different and life better with and under our creator. So where does that leave us? Well, it, it leaves us with a few things. Firstly, this. Don't resolve to change. Don't resolve to change because the change that is required of us truly is beyond us. That change only comes about because of Jesus. That change only comes about through Jesus. And we either have it in him or it's totally and utterly beyond our grasp. So don't resolve to change. You either have it in Jesus or you don't. But secondly, do prepare to grow. Don't resolve to change, prepare to grow. When Jesus used that imagery of needing to be reborn with Nicodemus, he did so deliberately and in many senses. And chief amongst those, I think, is the, the idea that once you've been reborn, there is a need to grow. There is a need to develop. We need to grow. That is part of why we still feel so dissatisfied as believers in ourselves. Because we know that even though we are new creations, we've been reborn, we're not quite who we're supposed to be yet. There's growing that can be done, there's growing that has to be done. And what does that growth look like? Well, that is a huge question with so many answers. You wouldn't believe how much time is spent, is taken up when we meet together as elders, trying to figure out where the next place we need to lead you guys as the church is in order to grow. We could give so many answers. We could give answers. Um, Wynne was sharing with us the other day how he sees it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, the, the famous Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, look, guys, this is where you need to go. First and foremost is to be salt and to be light. You need to, to grow and, and become people who are salty, who bring out these flavours in life, who are lights that illuminate these colours in life. You need to be loving and kind and generous. That's one place that you could say, do you know what? This year, 2021, is going to be the year that I plan to grow in my saltiness and in my lightness, in my love and my kindness for other people. At the end of last year, we were looking at Philippians. And Philippians, Paul's letter from jail to the church, uh, from jail to the church in Philippi. He kind of gets to this point at the end of it and it could be a wonderful description of how you need to grow this year. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Grow in your just your thankfulness. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Room for growth there. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's growth there. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So much there to be pursued, to grow in, to prepare to grow in. At the start of 2020, we thought about this idea of more, of growing. Um, we highlighted a couple of things in Jesus that was by no means supposed to be kind of like a conclusive or an exhaustive list, but how he was someone who always saw potential for growth and that we needed to be likewise people. People who weren't satisfied with where we were at or where things were at, but always wanting more. How Jesus was someone who simply enjoyed life. Are we people who enjoy life? Do we take the opportunities we have to enjoy life? As we look back over 2020, I'm convinced it has proven to us that we are not. If I ask you what was bad about the last 12 months, you would give me answers abounding. If I asked you what was good about the last 12 months, my guess is the best answers we'd have would be vague kind of um, platitudes. Oh, God has been kind. How? In what ways? What have you celebrated? What has been good? We're not good at enjoying life. We need to grow in that. Eating with other people, well, that perhaps has been taken away from us by restrictions, but that sense of wanting to commune, of, of meeting people where they're at, of valuing people, of giving them our time and our attention and our affection, that hasn't been taken away from us. Of being people who are kind on purpose to those who don't deserve it. That hasn't been taken away from us. We can grow in these things. As we kind of explored those sorts of thoughts at the start of last year, we went to Colossians chapter 3 and we, we read and we studied these verses, verses which give us so much ammunition, so many areas in which we could grow as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility and gentleness and patience, bear with one another, forgive one another. Above all, put on love. There's so many answers to the question, how and where can we grow? You know, I don't want this morning to, to pin down one thing or another. I've got my opinions. You might have already sensed a flavour of what they are and how I presented that material you should have been able to pick up from what I've been preaching the last couple of months you certainly will pick it up through what I preach over the next couple of months where I think we all need to grow but it's not a question for this morning of where do you need to grow as much as to be convinced and to set our minds on the fact that we all need to grow and we need to prepare ourselves to grow if that changes happen, if we are a new creation in Christ. And I want to leave you with just three ideas about preparing to grow. You can go off and discover and, 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 and look for yourself and plan. In fact, I'd invite you, I encourage you, we'd be thrilled, all of us as elders, myself, JP, Wynne and Rodri, we'd be absolutely thrilled if you wanted to, to sit down 
digitally or physically, however rules allow, and figure out where it is you can be growing in the next month, 12 weeks, six months or a year. We'd love to do that with you. But I just want to give you three tips this morning or, or three um, prods in the right direction on preparing to grow in 2021. The first one is this. We don't grow all at once, but little by little. I think one of the reasons annually we come back to this same need to resolve, to make resolutions, to say new year, new me, is because we haven't really achieved the goals that we set ourselves 12 months ago. And we haven't achieved those goals for many reasons, but in part because the goals were too big to be achieved all at once. And when we didn't achieve them all at once, we gave up. Let me just give you an example um, that will probably resonate with so many of you right now. The example of dieting, of sorting out your weight, your health, your fitness, whatever it is, and eating the right sort of things. So we transition from eating 5,000 calories a day, mainly made up of chocolates and biscuits and cakes and alcohol and all those sorts of things where we've been binge eating over Christmas. And we say January the 1st, healthy eating starts now. We cut our calories right down to 300, 400 uh, below what we are using every day. And we get it from fruit and vegetables and whole foods. And guess what? It isn't sustainable. Unless you're a freak of determination, you can't keep that up. And after three or four days of being utterly miserable, you kick it to touch. And your eating habits don't really change at all. And so you don't lose the weight that you want to lose. Or you don't find that the health that comes through better nutrition and diet that you were searching for. And in 12 months time, you'll be in exactly the same place because you thought you could do it all at once when what was needed was smaller steps, incremental bit by bit. A more spiritual example. January the 1st comes and you're determined this year you're going to read your Bible more. And so that means that you're going to read through it all in 12 months. So you find a Bible reading plan that has the chapters that you need to read in order to get through the entire Bible in 12 months. Now, I'm not going to knock that as a goal. In fact, I've done it for the last two years and I have genuinely enjoyed doing it. But it took a long time to get there. It took a long time to get to be the sort of person who has the the routine, who has the, I don't know, uh, concentration, who has the, the space and the time to read that much of the Bible. If you've never read the Bible before with any sort of regularity, the idea of reading through the entire Bible in one year, let me tell you, is mad. It is mental. You will be behind within a week. You will have given up within a month. So don't plan to do it. Not all at once, but little by little. Figure out how you can grow gradually in these areas. How over the next week you can change. How over the next month you can grow. How over the next six months you can grow. Little by little, not all at once. Tip number two is this. Not 
on your own, but with others. I've already invited you to, to get in touch with myself or JP or Wynne or Rodri because we would love to be involved with you planning and preparing to grow in 2021. But it's not just the four of us. It's the whole church family, isn't it? Being a new creation in Jesus, being a child of God, being part of his church, being part of his family was never supposed to be an individual pursuit. And yet we have specialised in making it an individual pursuit. We have cordoned off smart little sections of our lives that can be shared with others and other parts of our lives that need to be kept to us. And the truth is that's part of how we're living wrong. That's part of how we're living apart and in rebellion from God because he wants us to live in community. And the change, no, sorry, not change, the growth that we should be seeking this year, it won't be achieved if we are just trying to white-knuckle it on our own. God has given us each other to help one another along, to keep each other accountable, to be the people who actually instigate, instigate growth and change in one another. Not on your own but with each other. And then lastly, my third piece of advice is growth is not in the abstract sense, but it's in concrete things. It's in real things. It's all very well and good saying that I want to be a kinder person in 2021. That's a, it's a fair thing that we could all and should probably all say, but how are we going to be kinder? What are we going to spend financially on other people? What time are we going to set aside that isn't for me or isn't just for my loved ones, but it's for those who wouldn't, who shouldn't normally have my time? It can't just be the abstract. It has to be in the concrete. Change in our lives needs to be as real as Jesus' death and resurrection, because that's where the change comes from. That's where the growth ultimately comes from. Don't resolve to change. Prepare to grow. And not all at once, but little by little. Not on your own, but with other people. Not in the abstract, but in the concrete. New year, new me. Well, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation already. And that means that you are set up and ready to grow. I hope that we can grow together in 2021 for God's glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.